0: Well, welcome to Community Christian Church. My name is Ed Martin. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm really glad that you're here to be a part of this today. And before I actually start on what I want to talk about, I want to say to those of you at Ashley Park, I really do hope you are planning on inviting people to be with us next Sunday for Easter It's going to be a great day, and I want to see you guys have a really packed out place at the theater. So be inviting your friends. In fact, right now, if you want to go to ashleyparkchurch.com and use the digital invite to invite somebody right now, I'm not offended by that at all. I know you're doing something while I'm talking. It'd be really good to me if you were doing that. Now, if you're with us for the very first time, you don't know this, but today is a big day for us. Because today we are ending a series we've been doing on the greatest teaching of Jesus called the Sermon on the Mount. And this last part we've been calling deconstruction. And the reason we're calling deconstruction is there are just things that we sort of have a tendency to believe that we need to deconstruct and give you a proper understanding for we can build a firm foundation on what Jesus is teaching. Now today, I want to start with something that's really, I think, pretty obvious, but it's one of those things that is often misunderstood in our culture. Here it is. There's a clear difference between watching something, seeing something, hearing something, listening to something, and actually participating in that activity. It seems obvious it doesn't. Like you can You can be a part of a crowd, and you can be amazed by what you watch. You can hear what what they're saying. You can listen to what's going on, and you can be excited by it. You can even feel like you're engaged in it. But to be engaged in what's taking place, you actually have to be a participant in the activity that's going on. You have to devote your life to the way of life that leads to that activity. I bring this up because... Way back in September when we started in this study uh, in a book written by an eyewitness of Jesus called Matthew, when Matthew begins to describe this great teaching of Jesus, he, he starts it like this. He says, large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region around the Jordan followed him, Jesus. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Did you notice that Matthew wants us to know there are are two groups here? There are two groups involved in what's happening. Matthew tells us there's the crowd. They're there. He doesn't notice that He just says that there's male and female, or there's Jew and Gentile, or that there's slave and free, because those kind of designations, those don't matter to Jesus. Matthew says there's the crowd, and then there are disciples. 49 times in the this writing of Matthew, he talks about the crowds. And there are crowds that would come hear Jesus teach, and they'd be amazed by what he'd teach. And they would bring their six friends to be healed by Jesus. When they wanted food, sometimes they would come to Jesus to see if he'd do that thing of multiplying food. When they wanted something for Jesus, they would come and be with Jesus. But they were not with Jesus all the time. They recognize he's unique. They recognize that he can do things that nobody else has ever done. But their feeling about Jesus, it changes with the circumstances. If you're not a regular church person, you may not know that today is what Christians around the world call Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is the beginning of what's known as Holy Week. Holy Week's the week that leads up to the crucifixion of Jesus on Friday and then the resurrection of Jesus next Sunday on Easter. On this day, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the back of the donkey and It's a clear sign to the crowds that he's claiming to be the Messiah, and they see it, and they believe maybe he's going to be their long-promised deliverer. He's going to be the Messiah they want. He's going to take them away from the Romans. He's going to overthrow the government. And so they say on Palm Sunday, they say, Hail Jesus, glory to God in the highest. This is the one we've been looking for. But these same crowds, five days later, when his it's plain in this last week that Jesus isn't going to be the Messiah they want. He isn't overthrowing the government. He, he's bringing about a whole other kind of kingdom. They listen to the false testimony brought by the leaders, the religious leaders. And the same crowds that on Sunday had said, Hail Jesus, they now say on Friday, Nail Jesus. And they put him on a cross. See, the crowds, they're amazed by Jesus. They, they see him, but they're, they're driven by their circumstances. Matthew mentions the crowds 49 times. He mentions the disciples 65 times as he writes about the life of Jesus. And a disciple is fundamentally somebody different, as we already deconstructed in this series. A a disciple is somebody who was a part of the crowd. They're amazed like other people are amazed. They see what the crowd sees. But at some point, Jesus sort of gets under their skin, and they, they can't get loose of him. A disciple wants to be with Jesus. They want to follow Jesus. They want to learn from Jesus. They want to not only do what he has, is doing, they, they want to see what he sees. They want to follow him. They want to obey what he has to obey so that they can eventually live the life that he lives. Now, we need to know that Jesus loves the crowd. Jesus loves the crowd not because they're enthusiastic and because they come to him, because he needs the love and adoration of the crowd like lots of us that like crowds. He he doesn't love the crowd for that reason. It's because he sees the potential in the crowd. He sees their great need of the crowd. Matthew at one point tells us when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on the crowd because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus understood that most people in this world, they live their life as part of the crowd. That really hasn't changed in our day. And now, of course, we're talking about a decision you and I need to make. You need to decide, are you are part of the crowd or are you going to be a disciple? Maybe you ask yourself, who, who am I living for? Who Who am I committed myself to? Who... Who gets to be the one to make decisions in my life? What kind of person am I seeking to become? Who am I seeking to emulate? Who gets to determine how I spend my money? Who gets to determine the decisions that I make? Who is it that's directing my character? How I'm judging my character, the character that I'm becoming, both morally and spiritually? Who gets to decide how I live sexually? Who gets to decide how generous I am with the money that flows my way? How honest am I about the character that I'm developing with my one and lonely life? What should I do when I've wronged somebody? What should I do when somebody's wronged me? Who gets to tell me those kind of things the way of the crowd well the way of the crowd is just simple you you just drift you just go with your emotions you just look around you you the way of the crowd is just live by comparison in our world our current world is driven by making us compare ourselves to each other and the shame that comes from not being a part of the crowd I don't know if you noticed or not that even our energy companies, when you pay your power bill, at least my power company does this now, that if you look at your power bill, that they compare the amount of energy that I spend because they want us to be savers of energy, that they compare the amount of energy I spend versus people that are in similar places to me. So they'll have these little charts and they'll say someone in the similar size of house of you uses 85% less energy than you do, you energy-sucking pig. And, and it's just this feeling that in our world that you've got to be a part of the crowd, and the, the way of the crowd is, is easy. I just look around. I just I just see how you're doing it. I just go by how it makes me feel. This is what Jesus would call the broad way. It's the, it's the wide way. It's the way everybody's going, sheep without a shepherd. We've learned through the words of Jesus that Last week, Nathan reminded us of that this is, this is the life built on sand. This is the life that eventually will crumble. In fact, that's how Jesus ends this great teaching of his. That's the way of the crowd. It's the house built on shifting sand. It's the life that's going to crash. And when it crashes, it will just be catastrophic. Matthew adds this description, the very last line of this. He says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, The crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Matthew deliberately begins with the crowd and he ends with the crowd. And he focuses on how they heard the words of Jesus. And now, this again has a lot to do with us. For weeks now, For months now for some of us, we have heard this unbelievable teaching by Jesus and we've been amazed by what he has to say. This great Sermon on the Mount and in hearing the words as a part of the crowd, we're like them. We're amazed. He teaches like nobody else. And for some of the things we said, wow, that is so applicable. But the question is not, was I amazed by it? It's will I do what he says? Will I trust that he's right? Right about what? Right, Right about all of it. He's 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 just right about all of it. Will I go through the narrow gate? And it's not narrow because God intentionally makes it narrow. It's narrow because obedience is is doing what he says to do. Will I enter through the narrow gate of obedience, uh, identifying, following what he would have me do in my life? Will I build my life on the firm foundation of what Jesus has taught? Will I live in his great teaching? Will I live in the kingdom that he has said is available to me? Will I be a part of the crowd? Or will I choose to be a disciple? And you'll notice the, the crowd and the disciples, they have a fundamental distinction in how they experience Jesus. The crowds are amazed at what Jesus, what, what he has to, to say to them. The, the disciples, they're amazed at what Jesus has to say and did in them. The crowds, they're amazed by what they see in Jesus. The disciples, are amazed at what Jesus sees in them and what's happening in them. The disciples are amazed at the work of Jesus in their life, which has now changed and how it's so different than when they first began to have that. They see, they're amazed by his grace and his power and his work that's evident in them. The disciples are amazed by the new identity given, them, new community that they're part of, the new outlook on life that they have. Jesus' invitation is for you and for me. And you, And every one of us, is for us to leave the crowd and to choose to be a disciple. In amazement, we will know what only disciples know. The amazement of doing life with Jesus, of doing a life with Jesus. And that's how I want us to end this great teaching on Jesus. I I want to talk to you, I want to close this with the promises that are only known by the disciple of Jesus. If you've ever heard me talk or you've heard me talk for very long, you know that I have a great love for AA groups and NA groups and 12-step groups of all kinds, not only because of what they do in our country, but because of the power that they've had in my life. But primarily, primarily, I believe, not because of what the groups do, but primarily because they are based on the teaching of Jesus. Now, not everybody knows that. Not everybody knows that. These 12 steps, they flow right out of the teaching of Jesus. Some people think that Bill W. just created them on their own, but they're not. They're just a way, an accessible way to do life that is transformative because it leads us into the way of Jesus. If you ever go to a 12-step meeting, an AA meeting, uh, you will hear near the end of what's called the promises. It's from the big book that was written originally by Bill W. And in the middle of the the, the, of, the, of the step where we're we're making amends, you come to this extraordinary passage. Here's what he says. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. And then he gives this compelling vision, these amazing promises of the new life that awaits, this new life of usefulness, this new life of service to the world and to others. 12 incredible promises that are available in this way of life. And then these great words. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we will work them. Not too long ago, I was at what's called a sobriety birthday. I was There, because of a friend I love was celebrating her birthday. And again, as I sat through the meeting that I've sat through before and heard so many times, and come to that part where the promises are being read, and as I listened to them and the amazing things that these have materialized in my life and the life of people I love, I thought to myself, this is what followers of Jesus ought to be doing. This is what we ought to be saying to our world. We ought to be talking about the incredible life that awaits the followers of Jesus. Not, not one day in the sweet bye-bye, not life after you die. Do you, of course, get to live forever if you follow Jesus? Of course, because life with him is eternal. It's a better life, and it's a better way of life. And, of course, you live forever. But that's not the best part. The best part is the life that he offers us, these incredible promises that are given to a disciple to make us give us a better life and make us better at life. He out- offers extraordinary promises how do we know i've seen them fulfilled sometimes quickly and sometimes slowly in the life of people that i have watched closely they will always materialize if we will work with the one who gives the promises see the the bible is the original big book and it's just filled with thousands of these promises it's about that are available for for the follower of Jesus, these promises are not just promises given to God to anybody who wants to do whatever they want to, and then God sprinkles this promise on you so that you can post it on Facebook. These are promises that are given for the person who will follow Jesus, and it's, it's time that we have these promises vividly, compellingly, constantly before the of us who follow him if we truly and deeply desire the life that's available for people in the kingdom of God if we decide to be a disciple of Jesus. For the first disciples of Jesus, these promises were even more vital than they are to us now. Again, not just promises, but they're going that you're going to go to heaven when you die, that you can overcome death. Of course, that's true because they're eternal promises, but it's better than that. These are promises about right now. Here's one from an early follower of Jesus who was so close to Jesus. He was one of the very inner circles. His name is Peter, and he He reminds us of the people that he's leading at the time of this promise. Here's what he says. His, Jesus, divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises that through them you may participate in the divine nature. Now look at that last sentence. And I want you to think about it. You and you and you all the way at the top at Ashley Park. You and you and you and and me. We have been given the right, if we follow Jesus, to participate in his divine nature. That is, we get to regularly interact with his divine nature. Well, how does that look on a on a resume. That's way better than saying I went to UGA or Georgia Tech or Auburn or Alabama or one of those places. I get to be a divine nature participant. That is, I get to regularly interact with the wisdom of God. I get to regularly know his joy. I get to serve his great objective in the world. I get to know his power that flows through me. I get to know the joy that comes from living in unison with the great Trinity Father, Son, and Spirit at work in our world. I get to know his constant love with me, his constant friendship standing by me. When I think about this, I think about C.S. Lewis who one time wrote and said, Christians, we are way too easily satisfied. You're way too easily satisfied with owning a house or owning your business or having a PhD or putting something on your resume to impress other people. We should be walking around saying, I'm a DNP. I'm a divine nature participant. God himself is at work in me. He's changing my life. And the good news, the good news, the good news is, is that these promises are available. You don't have to have a high queue. You don't have to have a, high you don't have to have a, a lot of money. You You don't have to have a lot of talent. This is the good news of Jesus. The kingdom of God has come. It is here. His power and His presence is available to people like you and me. If you want it, if you want it and you arrange your life to follow Him, you can experience it over time, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, but they come to pass if we will work them. Peter, who wrote these things, he says that these are these promises, and did you notice he doesn't just say promises, he says they are precious promises, but he doesn't just say precious promises, he says they are great and precious promises, but not just great and precious promises, they are very great and precious promises. Did you notice his last statement that he makes? It itself is one of these great and precious promises. He says his divine power has given us everything we need, to live a godly life. Not some of what we need. He's given us everything we need. Not everything we need for the American dream. Not everything I need to have the life I have, want to have. Not everything I need to have what everybody else in the crowd says is important. I have everything I need to live the God-like, God-pleasing, God-designed, God-empowered life so that I can live the life that God had in mind for me when He thought me up and the kind of life that I honestly want to live. So that in time, so that in time I can become the person He designed me to be. So today, with the, the time that I have remaining, I, I want to lay out for us, as compellingly as I can, these great and precious promises given to disciples of Jesus. If you choose That's important to know if you choose, if you choose to be a disciple, if you devote yourself to the way of Jesus, if you say, I want to learn from Jesus how to do every part of my life, not mechanically, not kind of, you know, legalistically, but if you decide I will walk in freedom, I will do what Jesus is calling me to do constantly, humbly, continually with other people. If you follow this man into the kingdom of God that is available to every person, you'll be amazed before you're halfway through. What I want to do is I want to read to you some of the richest promises that are given in the great book of God's promises, the Bible, that are given for followers of Jesus. And then, I want to restate them in words that I think are more compelling for people in the 21st century of how to understand how they actually do apply in our world, in our life. And the reason I want to do this is I just want to give you a better vision of what life with Jesus is about, the kingdom that is available all around us that could be inside of you with unforced desire that you could begin to follow him so that learning from Jesus how to do everything It would just seem normal. It would seem so normal that any sane woman or man would choose to do it once that they saw it. Because not only will they get to go to heaven when they die, but they will have a better life. They will be better at life because of the promise of the life that God offers. Here are the promises. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want... That's because our God is a good, good Father, and He really does provide. I do not have to live my life with constant, unsatisfied desires. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble in heart, and you will have rest for your souls. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But we have the mind of Christ. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. And my God will meet all of your needs according to his riches of glory in Christ Jesus. With God, all things are possible. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever increasing glory. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. These are just a few of the very great and precious promises that come to the disciple of Jesus. But I want to put it in a way that I think might be more compelling for people in the 21st century. Each promise that I'm I'm going to say in just a moment, they are taken from these precious verses that are written down for us from ages past. They're just re-expressed in language that more applies to our century. If we're really devoted to them, if we're really devoted to following Jesus, if we really trust that he's right, about everything, and we do His life, we will find ourselves amazed before we are halfway through. Our unsatisfied desires will cease to dominate our life. Hurry and worry will begin to drop away from our lives. We will recognize and publicly confess our spiritual inadequacy with a growing freedom, and we will cheer others on who do the same. A new inspiration will begin to guide our thought life. Shame and judgmentalism will gradually lose their grip on us. We will find ourselves making better decisions with the wisdom of God. Our weakness no longer will torment us. We will find a power greater than ourselves, often at work in those weaknesses. We grow less irritated and less discouraged with life. Money worries and selfishness begin to fade while generosity grows inside us. Our sense of identity and usefulness will begin to deepen. We are becoming people that our parents always thought we could be. We will be increasingly filled with a joyful dependence on our great friend Jesus. Are these extravagant promises? I think not. I know of other people that I have watched over time, see these fulfilled in their lives, who've experienced great and precious promises more deeply than I, but I also know them. As I was writing this particular message, working on it a few weeks ago, it was at a particular time in life where things were a little, they were difficult. Becky and I, my wife and I, because... Of our age, it seems like we, we go to a lot more funerals than we used to. That's just a part of this time in our life. And we're at a place where we're struggling to help aging and dying parents. In addition to that, there are people that we care about at work and around the world that at that particular time when I was writing on that morning, it was particularly difficult for them. They were going through a season of life that was particularly hard. And we were in a very stressful time uh, here at work. In addition to that, uh, I have three children that I love and their spouses who I love and their children that I love. And even though all of my children do exceptionally well, for those of you who are parents, you know, you, you never stop caring about them, about their health and about their well-being. You carry them with you every moment of every day for the rest of your life, the love you have. So in this particular moment, when I was writing this, it, it was a time when there was a lot on me and I sat down to begin my day like I do nowadays in my life with my regular rhythm. I sat down and I read some from the life of Jesus and I then began to talk about my life and a way I share it with a group of men that I'm doing discipleship with and I began to think about how my life and about how it's changed as I, I followed Jesus more closely most of my life. You wouldn't know, I don't think, from just what you see up here, but most of my life, most every day of my life, I have woken up angry and worried and afraid with thoughts of what I'm going to do to control my environment and how I could do this. And on this moment, that day, as I reflected on my life, and even though there was turmoil in lots of people that I care about in Haiti and in Noonan and in Sharpsburg and in Peachtree City and in Kentucky where my wife's parents are, even though there was turmoil in all of those things, and I had no control over any of those things, I did not feel out of control in my life. I was not worried in my life. I had peace and love and joy throughout it. And I realize that these promises that I have spent my life teaching about and that I've tried to help others pursue and that I have pursued sometimes well and not some, sometimes not so well, I know, I know I know, what it's like to know a good God. That I have come to the point that I know what it's like to have them applied to my life and I begin to follow Jesus and I begin to trust him in the daily moments of my life. I know what it's like to go through life and know that God is a good Father who really does provide daily bread for those who love Him. I know what it's like to walk with my hand in the hand of a good, good dad who will not let me go. I have learned the idea that God will be with me wherever I go and in everything and that I have no reason to be afraid that if God is in the room, it's a perfectly safe place for me to be. One of the great and precious promises for us is that god will keep in perfect peace those whose mind is stayed on him it's just true so you can follow the crowd if you want to and most people do but i would just ask you What is it that having another child is promising you if that's what you really want? Or getting the marriage you want, what is it that's actually promising you? What will another $10,000 in salary do for you or in your checking account? What does success promise you? What does a bigger house promise you? What does your kids being a success promise you? And will they keep their promises to you? Can you build your life on this? One thing I know for sure, you and I both are building our life on some promise. Even if you're just drifting and looking around and comparing it with the crowd, you are building your life on some foundation. And you are betting your life that the promise you're betting on is right. Everybody builds a life. Even if you just drift. Even if you never decide. But nobody and nothing has ever promised what Jesus did. I have come that you might have life. And you might have it more abundantly. These things I have taught you. That my joy might be in you. And my joy might be complete in you. Whoever trusts in me. As the scriptures say. Will have rivers of living water. Flowing out of their belly. In this world. You will have trouble. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Lo. I am with you always. Are these promises extravagant? I think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize in the life of the follower of Jesus who decides to work and follow his plan. They always work if we will work them. So it seems appropriate to me as we end this discussion of the greatest teaching of Jesus, that I end this series by giving you a chance to choose instead of just drifting like the crowd does. Do you want to follow Jesus? Do you want to depend on his promises? Do you want to know the life that only the disciple of Jesus truly knows? The way you do that is you put your trust in him, Putting your trust in him just means that you believe that he's right about everything. And the way that that Jesus asked us to do that is to publicly take a stand of trust. And for the whole history of Christianity, that public step of trust has been baptism. Jesus said to his followers, I want you to go and I want you to make disciples, baptize them. So for the history of Christianity, when people have decided they're going to step out of the crowd and they're going to become a disciple, they've been baptized. Not because God is somehow fooled by insincere promises of getting dunked in water. God knows your heart. It isn't about God. It's that God knows that as human beings, I need to know. I need to publicly stand. I need to publicly cross the line and say, I'm stepping out. I'm becoming a disciple of Jesus. I believe that he's right. It's for me. So today, I want to give you a chance to do that. At Ashley Park today, we have water. We have water that's prepared for you. We are prepared to baptize you today. We have water and it's warm. We have water that is ready for you. We have people that are ready for you. We have towels. We have clothes that are ready. Even though you did not know today was your day, maybe God is calling you that today is your day. And even though you've thought about this before and you've decided you'd do it before, you've never, ever publicly done it. Today is the day that we ask you to do it. And I know you'll think to yourself, well, I could do it another day when I have everybody around me. This is not about you having everybody around or some significant day. Today is a significant day, and everybody that needs to be here is here. It's you and God. Will you decide to drift in the crowd, or will you follow Jesus? So here's what we're going to do. In just a moment, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray to end this series and thank God for what He's done, and I'm going to pray for you and the decision that you need to make, and for all of us as we continue to follow. And then, as soon as I'm done praying, we're going to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, followers of His disciples, in a time that we call communion. And today, we're going to do it in what we call taking it in stations. Around the room at Ashley Park, two down at the bottom. And two at the top, there are four stations where you can take communion today. But down at the bottom, at each of those stations, there'll be someone at each station. Jason at one and John at the other. And if today is your day and today's the day that you want to become a follower of Jesus, if today's the day you've decided to stop drifting with the crowd, today's the day that you're going to make your public statement of faith and be baptized. As everybody else stands, when I'm done praying, and begins to take communion, you step down and you talk to one of those two men. They will help you. They'll prepare you. They'll take you to a place that you can get ready. And before you're done today, you can be baptized. We have everything ready. And you are ready. And God is speaking to you. So in just a moment, I'll pray. This time of communion is for everybody who considers Jesus leader of their life. And if it's your first time and you've never you're not a part of this church, if you're a follower of His, you're invited to His table to remember Him. If you're here and today's the day that you want to make a public commitment, then when everybody stands and comes down, you go and talk to John or Jason and you make that decision and they'll, they'll help you with you. Maybe you're here and you're not ready and you're not sure you believe. You can either just stay seated in this time. You don't have to fake it. Nobody's going to judge you by staying seated. Or if you want, you could come and Talk to one of those two guys and and they would pray with you. They'd ask, they'd pray that to help you figure out what your next step is. But in just a moment, I'm going to pray. And then you'll get ready to decide. The promises of Jesus are for every disciple of his. They will materialize in your life and make you better at life and give you a better life if you will decide to follow. Let's bow together and I'll pray. Father in heaven, I'm so thankful for your Son Jesus for the, for the life that I have a chance to live with with you as my Father and Jesus as my brother and the Spirit in me, beside me, working through me to guide me in life. I'm thankful for the life that you've given me, and I pray now for people that are here and they've never decided they. They're part of the crowd. They're amazed by what they hear. They, they come to church regularly, and they're amazed by what goes on, but they have never decided to become a follower of Jesus. I pray that you'll give them courage today to take this step. and They will make the public commitment to follow you. God, thank you for your love for us. We remember it now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.